turn in your Bibles to page 982, Philippians 4. Uh, We're concluding um, Philippians today. That's on page 982 if you have the smaller few Bibles. As you're turning there, I would like to thank the worship team here at Hope Church. Many things that Lynn and I will miss but uh, worshiping with you all each Lord's Day and our worship team um, leading us and uh, singing God's praises. It's been uh, rich, wonderful. Um, We're blessed as well this morning, Lynn and I, to have uh, dear friends from our first church, Greensboro, Alabama. They were... 92 to 98. They were very patient, encouraging to a, uh, a new RTS graduate. Uh, looking back, you know, God's providence, but we probably left there too soon after six years and uh, still dear friends after 30 years plus. Glad to have our daughter here too, Danielle. She, quick story. She was uh, my main congregation in seminary. You could preach what they called the circuit. You preached at a different church every Sunday all around Mississippi. And so she would get up early, early Sunday morning because often we would have to drive quite a distance. So, I, you know, those tornadoes, Rolling Fork, Amory, I've preached in those churches, know those people, and... Uh, Danielle, you were, what, eight? Uh, She would always want to sit on the front row. Imagine that, a Presbyterian wanting to sit on the front row. And um, she'd always ask, you know, show me where you're preaching from. Open her Bible. And uh, so rich blessings and the blessing of not only pastoring, preaching, but of uh, laboring together. Uh, for the glory of Christ. Uh, But hear God's word, uh, Philippians chapter 4, and I'm actually going to begin reading with verse 10, but uh, 21 through 23 is the sermon text. Philippians 4, verse 10. This is the word of God. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You are indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet, it was kind of you to share my trouble, and you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. 
I have received full payment and more. I am ample, I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now verse 21. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Thus ends the reading of God's holy and divinely inspired word, inerrant and fallible, our only rule of faith and practice. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things in your law. Father, may your Holy Spirit uh, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, minds to understand, hearts that are moved, Father, by uh, the truth of the gospel, the loving, life-giving truth of your gospel. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, We often experienced mixed feelings uh, when we're concluding a great book or a good movie. Uh, We're glad that we've read the book or watched the movie, uh, but we often desire more. You know, in our daily walk of faith, with Christ as a church family here at Hope Church, uh, we're coming to a conclusion. Primarily, this morning we're concluding our our study of Paul's letter to the church at Philippi. It's been a joyful study of this gospel-saturated book of the Bible that has taught us much about Christ, about the gospel, and how to walk together as a church family. You know, in these three concluding verses, Philippians 4, verse 21 through 23, we'll see the Lord continues to provide us with practical instruction about our greeting one another and his grace to us in Christ. And as we study these verses, encourage you to keep your Bibles open there to Philippians chapter 4, verse 21, we see the Lord calls his church to live by the grace of Christ. Well, what does it look like for for believers, for the church, to live by the grace of Christ? We'll see uh, that there is a commencing with grace, verse 21, a centering on grace, verse 22, and then finally a concluding with grace there in verse 23. Begin there with uh, verse 21 of Philippians chapter 4. If you've read through the Bible and especially uh, the epistles of the Apostle Paul, he frequently closes 
Uh, these letters with a, a sweet echo of the opening gospel themes, a, a bookends, as it were. Uh, if you look, if you listen to the opening of, of Philippians chapter one, uh, we read Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints. There's that word, saints in Christ Jesus, who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We, we hear an echo of that here in, in these closing verses. You know, we, we hear that holy and hopeful word, grace. There in Philippians chapter 1, verse 2, then uh, uh, the Apostle Paul uses it again in verse 7 of Philippians. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. You know, that, that word grace, and then we don't hear that word of grace again until this last verse, uh, verse 23 of Philippians 4. But what does it look like for the, the church to be living by God's grace? And, you know, for some of you, for me, the first time I, I considered it, it sounds simplistic. You know, if, if we know God's grace to us in Christ, one of the ways that we can show it to one another and to a watching world around us is to greet one another. You know, that, that first greet, you know, three times in two verses, that, that first word greet is actually a command. You all greet every saint in Christ audibly and affectionately express your love for your brothers and sisters in Christ. Greet is more than a handshake. You know, it's more than a hug. You know, that's a part of it. But it's a command to Christians. We read this, 1 Corinthians 16, 20. 1 Corinthians 16, 20. All the brothers, brothers and sisters, send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I'm not against kisses, but uh, what what's God's word teaching us there? You know, don't just say, hey, don't just nod your head. You know, really greet one another in love. You know, remember back to our study of Romans 16. You don't have to turn there. You know, after this uh, glorious gospel doctrines of Romans, how does Paul conclude that, that book, Romans 16, 17 times he tells the believers there to greet one another, and he sends his greetings to the believers there. You know, back then, sermon on it, on uh, May the 1st, 2022, you know, may they know your love for them in Christ. That's what we're doing when we greet one another. Graciously welcome them in the name of Christ. And again, in Romans, greet one another with the holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. There's a gospel unity as we greet 
one another. And just so you're not surprised, I thought about a surprise at the closing, but we're going to do our greetings after the benediction this morning. Uh, So be ready. Uh, Don't be long with your greetings because we have lunch over there. So, um, you know, greet one another. But look again at, at verse 21. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. Greet every saint, each and every saint. This this may surprise you, but each and every true Christian is a true saint in God's eyes. You know, we're we're holy. God declares us righteous in Christ. He, He clothes us with his righteousness, so we are We are saints. We are those who are holy, who have been set apart because of the Savior's love for us. You know, we've been cleansed by the shed blood of Christ, called to live together as his church. You know, one of the the definitions of a saint, you've been set apart, you know, to live by God's grace and for God's glory. We're saints because we're in Christ and Christ Jesus dwells within us by the power of his Holy Spirit. And now the last part of verse 21. The brothers, or we could say the brothers and sisters who are with me greet you. Remember, Paul is in prison in Rome as he write this, but but it seems that there is a a community of believers um, that have surrounded uh, the Apostle Paul uh, during his difficult days, maybe even depressing days in prison. And and these brothers, sisters in Christ are ready to greet their, their brothers and sisters in Christ in Philippi. You know, Paul is never alone in his gospel labors. You know, at the very least, Silas is with Paul at this point. You know, God graciously provided brothers and sisters in Christ to labor with him. You know, God provides a community of faith, not only for Paul, but but for you, for, for me as well. We, too, need a community of faith, faith in Christ around us. Not just on Sundays in corporate worship, that's a good thing, or not only in Sunday schools, you know, but at prayer meetings, Bible studies, small groups. You know, every step of the way to glory. You know, we need our brothers and sisters in Christ. Here he is commencing with grace, just with these simple greetings of Christians. You know, over the years, I think I've told you, it's been my pastoral privilege to take part in two foreign mission trips, uh, Ukraine and then to Ecuador. I've preached at a few special services. Uh, Yes, even at one uh, revival service and You know, I learned that one of the first things a preacher says, even before he reads the word, is, you know, I bring you greetings, you know, from your sister church, Greensboro Church, Hope Presbyterian Church, you know, whatever it might be. 
you know, to, to greet one another. It's vital for every gospel preaching, scripturally grounded church to instruct the congregation about the importance of greeting our brothers and sisters in Christ. We, we do it vocally, vocalize our love for our fellow believers, to speak words of gracious encouragement. I'd, I'd encourage you, you know, on Sundays, not just speak about the weather, you know, LSU baseball, the economy, you know, but, but to greet one another. You know, a word of Christian greeting, a verse of scripture. You know, and also to show a simple and appropriate physical expression of your love for all of God's saints. You know, that's where it starts. You know, commencing with grace. But look now at verse 22. Centering on grace. Now we witness a fuller expression of Christian greetings. Apostle Paul says, all the saints greet you. Not only as brothers who are laboring with them, brothers and sisters, but but all the Christians there in, in Rome where Paul is imprisoned, all the saints greet you. You know, this is not, you know, for those of you who watch the show, this is not a Gomer says, hey, you know, in Alabama, I don't know whether they say it in Louisiana, I haven't heard it, Alabama, we learned, you'd ask, how's your mama and them? You know, how's the family doing? You know, a greeting should be a holy habit by God's redeemed children. You know, we're a body of believers, a family of faith. We're we're connected, not only as a denomination and to sister churches in town, but all true gospel churches of Christ around the globe. All the saints greet you. But then, you know, here's the striking expression. All the saints greet you, especially... That can also be translated, most of all, those of Caesar's household. You know, God's saints who labor for the Lord, who labor in the corrupt and oppressive government of Rome. You may find it hard to believe, but, you know, our government today would pale in comparison to the corruption of Rome, the sinfulness of Rome. You know, in my uh, feeble effort um, uh, to uh, speak for a moment about the the Roman government, you know, best way I can understand it, Nero was the leader of Rome. You know, in fact, they would actually call the leader Lord. Caesar is Lord. Nero is Lord. History records his corruption, his self-indulgence, and his tyranny. History tells us that he murdered his own mother to advance his political career. And yet our sovereign God graciously and providentially brought about his gospel transformation through seemingly insignificant Christians who were working in Caesar's household, government workers in this godless government. You know, these workers most likely included slaves, servants, freedmen, 
Roman soldiers who came to faith in Christ. Most likely, these Christians in government were not the royal family or those with positions of power. Now, John Calvin, believe, captures it as he writes, For it is no common evidence of divine mercy that the gospel had penetrated that sink, or we could say toilet, of all crimes and iniquities. You know, the gracious power of the gospel had had penetrated even the heart of the Roman Empire. Calvin went on to write this, It is a rare thing for holiness to reign in the courts of the sovereign. True in Paul's day, true in Calvin's day, still true for us today, and yet the Lord has his remnant who are serving, not undercover, but serving the Lord faithfully as witnesses in government. The Lord used these believers to shine like lights in the world. Do you remember Philippians chapter 2, verse 15? Uh, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. That's what the Lord calls all of us to. You know, shine like lights wherever we are, in the, in the classroom, in the workplace, on the sports field, in our neighborhood. And, and yes, there are witnesses for Christ. There are Christians even here in, in Caesar's household. You know, but this is not a biblical exception. Just to give you one illustration... There was more than one, but I think of Naaman. You know, back in the Old Testament, Second Kings chapter five, he was the commander of the of the of the army of Syria, a mighty man of valor, but uh, he suffered from leprosy. Yet the Lord sovereignly, providentially used a a young servant girl, a a servant girl that had been captured most likely from Israel and now um, was working in the household, working for Naaman's wife. She knew Naaman's affliction and she told her mistress. uh, This is a paraphrase. She suggested that Naaman go to the prophet who was in Samaria you know, and the Lord graciously brought about Naaman's healing by the prophet Elijah. You remember what Elisha, excuse me, remember what Elisha commanded Naaman? You know, duck seven times in the Jordan River and you will be clean. And Naaman thought he was crazy and started to walk off. And one of his underlings told him, you know, he encouraged them to do it. And, and Naaman was healed. For his good and to the glory of God. And how did the Lord bring that about? Through the witness of that unnamed servant girl. You know, this still happens today. You know, our great and gracious God providentially uses Christians and government to bring about the salvation of many. And we can and should pray for them as they labor for the Lord in in these difficult places. Uh, You might be surprised today uh, in a sermon on grace that we're not singing Amazing Grace. Thought about it. 
Many of you know it was written by John Newton uh, back in about 19 or 1772. He, he was a pastor in a, uh, a small town in England, Olney, England. Uh, they said it was a town of about 2,000 people, so even a little bit smaller than Opelousas. You know, it's in the original version, there were 13 verses. You can find it online if, if you uh, want. The Trinity includes only six, and actually the sixth verse was not written by Newton. Verse 1 is the most familiar. I know I'm preaching to the choir here, you know, but, but that verse reads as follows. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. You know, the, the word that caught my attention, the Lord used to catch my attention, is that word amazing. It's not just grace, it's amazing grace. And it's it's not used very frequently in Scripture. I'll give you one example. Revelation chapter 15, verse 3. Revelation 15, verse 3. And they sing the song of Moses. Like Exodus 15, they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Now, so when we think of amazing, awesome grace, marvelous grace, Grace that is worthy of our wonder and our worship. You know, and, and would ask you, ask me the question, when was the last time you were amazed by God's grace? You know, may every Christian continue to proclaim God's grace in Christ, to center on grace in your own walk of faith, in your family, marriage, as as a church family, and may we praise the Lord for his grace. May we be amazed by his grace. May we adore him for his grace and abide in his grace. But third and finally there, Philippians chapter 4, verse 23. Philippians 4, verse 23. We are concluding with grace. So we're commencing with grace, verse 21. We're centering on grace, Philippians 4, verse 22. And now we are concluding with grace. Philippians 4, verse 23 has rightly been called a gracious benediction, similar to other Pauline benedictions. Uh, But we we only find it in, in one other epistle, in a word-for-word correspondence, and that's in Philemon chapter 1, verse 25. Let me read it for us. Philemon chapter 1, verse 25. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. You know, grace. 
a challenging word even for us as Christians to define. You know, God's unmerited favor to us in Christ. Nothing we've done to earn it, deserve it, to, to merit it. And yet God has graciously set his love upon us in Christ. It's Christ's grace that, that saves us. It's Christ's grace that sanctifies us, makes us more like Christ each and every day. It's Christ's grace that, that gives us security. You know, we're not, we're not saved by our good works. We're, we're saved by what Christ has done for us at the cross. You know, Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace... You have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. When we're, we're saved by grace, God gets all the glory and praise uh, for his uh, loving redemption of his children. But, you know, four truths here, just in verse 23. 23, and look at them quickly. Here in this verse, we see the source of grace. It's the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where grace flows from. The, the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, this, this grace of God. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, I, I love that title. For our Savior. You know, he, he is Lord. It speaks of his divinity. That he is truly God. The Son of God. Second person of the Trinity. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the source of grace. But secondly, salvation by grace. You know, the grace of the Lord Jesus now just stop and ponder that title for Christ for a minute. Instructions given by the angel to Joseph there in Matthew one twenty one. Thou shalt call his name Jesus. Why? For he will save his people from their sins. You know, we see that as well in, in Philippians two. You know, that, that glorious Christological doxology. Philippians 2, verse 9, Therefore God has highly exalted him, that is Jesus, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You know, the source of grace, salvation by grace, you know, third, the solidarity of grace. He is the Lord, he is Jesus, he is the Christ, the Messiah, the, the one that was prophesied in the, in the Old Testament. Genesis 3.15, Isaiah 53, Psalm 110, you know, just to name a few references. You know, he, he is the Messiah, our promised Savior and Redeemer. Remember what Paul said in Philippians 1, verse 21. I'll refresh all our memories, mine included. 
Philippians 1.21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. You know, that's what Paul's life was all about, to live for Christ. And finally, there, Philippians chapter 4, verse 23, there, there's, it's a spiritual grace. Source, salvation, solidarity, you know, but, but a, a unique expression there. Be with your spirit. You know, scripture here doesn't say, well, the grace be with your heart. That would be our, our first inclination to, to think that, or the grace be with your mind. You know, but be with your spirit. It, it speaks of, you know, the eternality of our souls, our, our spirits. You know, be with all of your spirits. Paul is preaching to all of the church. We see a similar expression, Galatians chapter 6, verse 18, Galatians six eighteen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Grace. You know, it's been a little bit. I taught one in the fall, but uh, when teach a new members class um, entitled All About Hope. It's about as creative as I can get. You know, I gladly tell uh, the, those who are in the class wanting to learn more about the church. doesn't commit you to join the church, but... You know, what, what is hope all about? What's the Bible about? What's grace all about? Who is Jesus? But I gladly tell the class that we're in, and the expression is, an ordinary means of grace church. An ordinary means of grace church. And that comes from our Westminster Shorter Catechism. Number 88, hear it. Please, what are the outward means whereby Christ communicateth to us the benefits of redemption? The answer is this, the outward and ordinary means whereby Christ communicateth to us the benefits of redemption are his ordinances, especially the word, the sacraments, and prayer. All of which are made effectual to the elect, to God for their salvation. So when we're an ordinary means of grace, church, we believe, trust that the Bible is indeed the word of God, the very word of God, inspired and errant. We believe in the sacraments, you know, and here in our Reformed tradition, just two, baptism, and baptism includes believers' baptism, and yes, baptism of covenant of children, babies of covenant families. So the word of God, sacraments, and prayer, ordinary. They're, they're accessible to all of us as Christians, and they are also ordained by God. You know, so here, you know, when we speak about the Word of God, you know, as we say in unison every Sunday, we can say it again, Isaiah 40, verse 8, you know, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the Word of our God will stand forever. 
Now, that's what we believe about the word of God. It's God's word to us. It will stand forever. You know, we believe in uh, baptism. The Lord's Supper is the second sacrament, communion. We celebrate it here every Lord's Day uh, when there is an ordained pastor here. But then finally, prayer. You know, the, the grace of prayer, of us praying for ourselves, our own needs, praising God, but, but praying for, for one another. Uh, just to give you a, a little taste of it, you see that theme of prayer uh, throughout Philippians. Philippians 1, verse 3 and following, I thank my God and all my remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And just one other reference, uh, Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Grace. We commence with grace. We center on grace. And uh, not just conclude this sermon with grace, but pray that this grace continues in the ministry and in the life here at, at Hope Church. You know, it's difficult for me, in a sense, to get my mind and heart around the thought that this is uh, not just my closing sermon here at, at Hope Church, but uh, preaching regularly for 32 years. Over the past 11 years and 8 months, so if you're wondering whether I've been here 11 years or 12 years, 12 in September, you know, it's been my privilege, best I can reckon, to preach about 570 sermons, you know, to teach Sunday school lessons at the beginning, grateful that our elders are teaching Sunday school now to lead Bible study, uh, to be proclaiming the gospel at funerals and weddings. And at each sermon, it's, it's my prayer, and I would encourage you to pray it for the elders who will be preaching here and for the, the one that God would call to be your next pastor, pastor that uh, they would preach the gospel uh, of Christ that they would prize the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, proclaim that Christ is our only hope in life and in death. Preach that, that gracious, completed work of Christ at the cross. All to God's glory and praise. And all God's people said, Amen. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we, we praise and thank you for, for your grace to us in Christ. That grace that was so gloriously displayed at the cross of Calvary, 
where Jesus Christ, the righteous one, died for us, the unrighteous ones, to bring us to God. Nothing that we have done to earn, to merit your, your gift of grace to us in Christ. And yet, Lord, um, as you have graciously called us to salvation, Lord, pray uh, that we as Christians, and it's my prayer for Hope Presbyterian Church, that we continue to center on grace, Father. Continue to preach the gospel of Christ. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.